We're back with another episode of Space, Space in 60. Someone had their coffee this morning. <laughs> it's kicking in finally. Someone went to Tim Hortons, didn't they? Uh, no Timmy's today, but I got the Star Wars mug out. Oh, wow. Let me see it. Raise it up. Rogue One. It makes oh, for good wow. podcasting here. Yep. That's an awesome mug, Andrew. Like it's, it's big. It's got lots of room for coffee. All my favorite Rogue One characters. Yep. Yep, the kids love it too. Got nice, nice colors on it. Yeah, you let your kids drink coffee? Uh, no, <laughs> no, that that would be a bad idea. But finally, you say that when Okan was in the NICU, that was one of his prescribed medications was co- uh, caffeine. Yep, he had yep. his daily I dose of Starbucks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Every I got morning, the same, same prescription. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And to wrap the whole Star Wars into what we have going on, you're going to need to get down to the Star Wars uh, in Florida at Disney. Indeed. Yeah, it's only $6,000 a night. Hey, you know. Is that it? Yeah, it's it's nothing. I mean, for guys like you, it's dropping the bucket. Uh, yeah. Is that, Just save, is the, save the Tim Hortons money and you'll be good to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about I bring the Tim Hortons and they'll just let me in? No. No, absolutely no. not. Um, what a great week to be from Florida. I don't know if you guys saw it, but I saw the announcement that I believe is at the University of Florida. They were able to grow a plant in lunar regolith. Did you guys see that? I did not. So like last year, or the year before, I think a group from China grew a cotton plant on the surface of the moon. And then this last week I saw it was announced. They took some lunar regolith. I don't know when they got it late early 70s late 60s and they were able to put plants in and grow it from that material um that was incredible that has huge implications if we're actually able to start growing things off planet it's a serious game changer expands everything i don't know sounds like everyday affair in canada (laughs) what (laughs) growing growing things in a harsh environment okay i was about to say what are you saying about your soil up there I guess you guys can grow anything up there with the grow light, right? You got it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, these days, there seems to be a lot going on in Florida beyond lunar regolith. We also have an incredible economy that's been great here for the space industry. But we have a guest today that's going to tell all about what's going on in Florida. We're hoping to learn a little bit for all of our listeners who are in the space industry as well as those who are just enthusiasts, what's going on in Florida? What are we building down here and how can they take advantage of it? So would anyone like to introduce our next guest? And I'll take it. (laughs) Silence. (laughs) Our next guest on Space in 60, waiting in the wings here in the interior room, ready to come in and record, Frank DeBello, CEO, of Space Florida. Frank, it's great to have you. It's a real pleasure to be here and uh, I've been looking forward to uh, to a chat. Yeah, we, we've been looking, looking forward to it uh, as well. We understand you've got quite the background in the space industry, been part of it for a long time and 
Andrew, Chad, and I, we, uh, we can't wait to hear about what all you've been doing. Well, I'll tell you, it's, a, it's an exciting time. Uh, and I've been very, very lucky, as you, you mentioned. If I were to take all the things that I've done, this is probably the best job that I've ever had. And it's happening at a time when there is so much going on in the uh, industry itself. This is really a, a very exciting time in Florida, but in the industry as a whole. I spent a good part of my career in it and really uh, seen it come a long way. I've seen multiple fits and starts for the promise of commercial space, uh, and it's clearly happening today. This is not a false start. This is for real. You know, I, I love to hear you say that. You know, there are all these bubbles in all these different kind of industries, how they really spike up and then they they basically shoot for the moon and then they they come down. But but I, I have to agree with you. I think this is a really exciting time in the industry when a lot's happening, but it seems to be sustaining. And, you know, what really in in the space industry, uh, what's Florida got going for it that, that you're so excited about in the space industry? Well, there was a time when Florida had location, location, and location. It was a, <laughs> it was a major point of launch and it had a lot of history that was what I call the old space program history, which was uh, the activity that NASA was involved in, in sending uh, rockets uh, off to the moon or uh, as we progressed through the Mercury, Gemini and Apollo series and then the space shuttle. There's a lot of history and heritage that's always been here. But the real story today is what's happening in the commercial world. And I go back in this industry into the 80s when I really got involved in, uh, I was a partner at KPMG and I was managing their aerospace industry practice, helping companies in aerospace grow through either internal means, market growth, or through external means, uh, through merger and acquisition. I created a space practice for the firm and we were taking satellites to Wall Street. So these were the early days when if you went to Wall Street and you said, I've got a several hundred million dollar satellite I want to finance, you know, and it's going to sit on top of a rocket that was <laughs> not something that was easily sold. Did you, did you get laughed out of the room at the, in those days? In those early days, it was really difficult. Uh, and it was the insurance industry that made satellites financeable because you could now insure that payload on top of a rocket. The economics were powerful. I'm rambling a bit, but from those days when it was really difficult and the principal model that made money was a several hundred million dollar satellite that say it was 200 million and it sat on top of an 80 million dollar rocket and you put another 20 million of insurance on it. But that payload had 100 transponders that you could lease each one for about 2 million a year. So in the course of a year, you could recover a year and a half, you would recover the full cost of your capital investment to get that satellite up there. Then the satellite has a useful life of another 10 or 12 years. So it was a cash cow up there for use of those transponders. And the marketplace began to see that. That was really the first commercial stuff that made money. And that was followed by Earth observation, but still government had a really heady hand in it till this environment today, which is really, really very different. So it's an exciting time. Yeah, I think a lot of the, you know, a lot of people who have been part of the space industry since the 80s, you know, I've heard them comment that today's commercial space industry is a little bit like the Wild West in how things get done. And, you know, you were talking about the heavy financing and the 
the insurance of these vehicles that were on top of a rocket. Like the first constellation that the Andrew and Chad and I were were working with, like our insurance was to cross our fingers and just hope, you know. And I think that I think that things have uh, have evolved quite a lot since those days where insurance doesn't play as big of a role anymore, and the satellites are smaller, more efficient, and and less likely to be insured. Well, uh, the the finance community is uh, also changed dramatically from that era that I talked about in the 80s where we were taking satellites to Wall Street. Uh, I did that for about 10 years at KPMG, did a lot of work with NASA at the time to begin to look at commercial uses of space for them, uh, principally around, around the International Space Station. And I saw that capital was the name of the game. We were talking to a lot of companies that wanted to do something but had no real way to get there. I left KPMG and started a venture capital company. And we raised $300 million, which at the time was a lot of money for space. And our focus was investing in companies that were taking uh, defense and space technology to large commercial market. I know today gets referred to as the Wild West, but that was really the Wild West. And <laughs> I you bet. We really did see a lot of ViewGraph uh, companies and uh, very capable technical people attempting to do something difficult. Space is difficult. The business models weren't really there and the markets weren't proven. Uh, and so even though we were able to make a lot of good investments in the venture context, providing growth capital, uh, they still had a really hard time getting getting to market, getting to any kind of scale in the market. That's what's different today. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. You mentioned some of them with uh, satellites getting smaller, uh, we're able to pack more and more into smaller spaces look what's happened with our phones which have gone from bricks to very thin devices that you can wear on your wrist and very very capable of uh, and that same phenomenon has happened with sensors uh, and with the software advances that we've made but the big uh, contributor was also the concept of reusability that's been introduced into uh, uh, the access to space and that is driving down costs uh, dramatically so it's an exciting time in this decade for the evolution of a lot of uh, new commercial players. In my view, the, the things that are most exciting about today are the democratization of space, more and more people and more and more businesses going up there. And then I call also the democratization of technology as space-related technology has infused itself into practically everybody's daily life in some way. And so there's a much broader appreciation of the value of space technology and space contributions to our everyday well-being. And that's opening up new ideas, new markets, and things we wouldn't have thought of. Apps on your phone that have a space connection, many, many, many new applications. And those are the high-value-added companies that uh, grow at compound average annual growth rates and are really, really ready. You know, I, I don't know a lot of the up and coming space companies that that think about the compounded annual growth rate these days. It's all money in, money in, money in, and then blitz growth behind that. Sooner or later, uh, these companies are going to have to make money and that'll come into to play. I agree. Uh, the, the companies that you've seen that happen in the last several years, you saw a lot of companies going public using special purpose acquisition corporations. 
And that's because whenever there's a, a large accumulation of capital in the marketplace, and for a variety of reasons, the capital markets are flush, they're hungry, they're looking for deals, and you start throwing capital at companies uh, at valuations that are often not justified by the business that's in hand. It's A lot of it is on promise. And nowhere was that more true than uh, with a lot of the companies who went public using a SPAC. As opposed to historical performance, it was very much projection-driven. And uh, I think you're seeing that reflected now in the valuations of those companies in the market after IPO. But many of them will make it. There's a lot of constellation companies that are uh, that got a good business plan. I think you're seeing a, a take-up in the market of the data and the applications by companies that, hey, if I can get these kinds of images, look at what I can do with it to add to my agriculture industry or my lumber industry or my mining or my environmental cleanup industry or even in the, the commercial provision of intelligence data in wartime. And we're seeing so many uh, applications of things that are being purchased commercially for a variety of even national security reasons. You've seen a lot over the time that uh, you've been in this industry. And, you know, in your current role, you're, you know, CEO of, of Space Florida. So you're kind of at the center of the universe for space where all roads lead to Frank, it sounds like. Thank you. That's, uh, I wish that were true. Uh, that's, Ego gratifying, but that's <laughs> not really good. This is this is. I, I'm not very, above very flattery, much. Frank. <laughs> well, let me let me tell you, I I have been very very lucky. I was a math major in college, uh, graduated during the Vietnam War. I'm, I'm going to divert and give you a little history just to talk about the, the importance of today. Uh, and uh, I wanted to be a pilot. I just couldn't go into either the Air Force or the Navy beat the pilot because my eyes weren't good enough. So I was offered a position to go into Washington and do defense studies for the Pentagon for five years. So as a kid coming out of school, that was pretty heavy. We were doing decision modeling for DDR&E, which was Robert McNamara's think tank. And that really dates me. But uh, from those five years, I really got a good understanding of how the defense industry was working got recruited into an accounting firm, KPMG or its predecessor. And uh, you know, I didn't know really what I was going to do with a math major in a public accounting firm, but they wanted to grow their federal practice. And I got involved doing work with aerospace companies, helping them grow. Started that space practice that I referred to. Saw that capital was the name of the game. So I left KPMG to start this venture company which we did for 12 years, raising uh, 300 million and deploying it in a lot of companies. And we presided over the fall of the dot-coms. So even though we weren't heavily invested in dot-coms, everybody's portfolio values dropped. And so uh, I uh, spent uh, two years as the president of a satellite company trying to raise capital. It was one of the Iridium-class licenses, one of the five uh, licenses that were granted in that class. And then Jeb Bush asked me if I'd come to Florida to take over an aerospace finance corporation that was targeted toward infrastructure. And that eventually got folded into Space Florida. But I have to tell you that what I'm doing today is absolutely the most exciting 
because of what Space Florida is. Long story short, this is the fourth iteration of a state's effort to create a space authority. The first three were hung up on launch. And they really believe that they needed to be a spaceport uh, or a spaceport authority and launch something. And I read the statute when I took this over and saw that all the tools were in it were financing tools, which played to what I enjoy also. I saw the charter that we had to become an enabler to help companies come to Florida and thrive. How do we do that? We finance infrastructure, we finance R&D facilities, we finance tooling and equipment, anything that makes sense for them to locate here, set up operations, and then make their business model work. And so we do everything from early stage uh, technology demonstration to some small growth capital investing, but a lot of it is infrastructure. And uh, in the last 10 years, we did about $2.7 billion worth of infrastructure for companies that were setting up those R&D and manufacturing facilities and other things like that. My goal is to take that $2 billion to $10 billion by 2030. That's incredible. we're on our way to doing it. It's a, it's a great story. Just thinking about the future of it, too, and, and everything from Florida, space tourism and the future of what that is. I think we're starting to see the beginning of it. What are your thoughts on that and the growth of it, especially, you know, thinking about Florida? Well, I'm excited about all of the sectors that we're seeing, uh, space tourism being one of them, largely because of what I call this democratization of space. More and more people are able to get to space and companies are being creative about finding ways to get them up there, even if it's for a, a short experience. But the experiential part of space is happening on the ground with companies that are uh, building and simulation modeling capabilities so that you can actually simulate what it's like. There's astronaut training companies that are looking at Florida and we're helping them set up uh, not only the training for real flight, but a lot of the experiential things that would give them good background. We're seeing uh, everything from space perspectives like companies that are going to take people up in a balloon to the edge of space and they'll experience weightlessness in a first-class cabin, basically. But that's something a lot more affordable than uh, perhaps a, a Virgin Galactic flight, which is the next level up. We've always had zero gravity, and there are more variations on that theme to give people a zero gravity experience. And then you add Blue Origin and others that will be coming into play to uh, give people spaceflight experience. And I think it, this is an exciting time for more and more people to experience a space adventure. But going beyond that, the really exciting thing is what is happening with what Elon's been able to bring to the table and others who are really honestly working on the ability to get people up to low Earth orbit and companies that are planning some kind of hardware that gives them destinations. So it's uh, a lab space in, in low Earth orbit. It's to the space, space station uh, or it's to uh, a manufacturing facility that might be man-tended or even just robotic and you pick up what you need or going up there to do things. It's research, it's manufacturing, it's going up there to fix things or to refuel satellites or to move them around or to deorbit them when they no longer have useful life. 
or to change panels and fix them so that they can extend useful life. And all of that represents the beginning of a value creation in space. Companies going up there to create value and bring that value back down to earth. And I want that to be in Florida. So that's why we're we're really focused on that kind of an image for what we see the space industry being. Well, I think you could have a, a bilateral relationship with Canada because I think one of the things that Florida's got going for it is it's a warm, sunny state, but space is pretty cold. And so is Canada. So if you <laughs> want to experience the cold of space on a budget. Ask you where Canada was, but that's I'm not kidding you. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done. Well, I have to tell you, I, I, have a, I have a great affection for the Canadians, and La Caisse de Depot was an investor in our in our fund back in the nineties, uh, and that showed vision at the time for for what the potential of space was. So there's always been a pioneering spirit in the Canadian mind, and I, I applaud that. Absolutely, I think the Canadians also applaud Florida being the the destination to go work in space. So. Uh, we all make it down down to Florida one way or another. Well, and that's another thing that's happening uh, to, to comment on us being, uh, I started out by saying we were location, location, location because of the heritage. Today, it is weather, but it's a whole host of other things too. Florida's been pretty good. Uh, it's a relatively conservative state. Uh, putting the politics aside, uh, it's conservative and with respect to its approach to business and its approach to taxes. And so as a result of COVID, several years of it, uh, it's caused a lot of companies in other areas of the country and around the world to rethink what facilities they have. They're in high cost of living environments, they're in high wage states, there are all kinds of other things that are affecting them, especially the tax environment. And so COVID gave them a chance to rethink things. and. I typically, uh, before COVID, had about 40 projects on average in our qualified deal log, companies we were trying to bring here or build something for. That number doubled post-COVID. So today we're looking at about 80 projects. And these are not small. They're companies looking to come and create 500 jobs to do this or that. And uh, What's really neat about it is that these are all commercial companies that are looking at not only being prime players in space, but a lot of sub-tier. And so the more you grow the sub-tier, the more you're really building a foundation that is a fundamental shift for Florida from a tourism state to one that is really well-placed in a future industry, a future-oriented industry, manufacturing and technology advancement and adapting those technologies into product. And that's that's the future I see for Florida. You know, Frank, there are so many exciting startup companies out there from around the industry all over the world. And, you know, I've seen all of these initiatives like from Scotland and Luxembourg and in, uh, in Japan of incentives to bring these startups to their, their locality. And, you know, I get asked all the time, you know, what is there to bring an international startup to creating a an entity or to, to finding a home in Florida? And I think that's one of the most challenging things I've seen from an international perspective. What's the motivation for those companies to come to Florida? And, you know, in the U.S., we don't have the type of incentives you see in Europe and places like that that are, are subsidizing to get those companies there. 
Is Florida doing anything to bring in international space companies locally? Absolutely, yes. Uh, our reach uh, and our, our uh, reach out is international. I spend time both in Asia as well as the UK, France, and in other countries. And we actively reach out. The, the phenomenon is that every nation wants to be involved in space. And uh, I get asked all the time, why do people want to invest in space? And it, there are all kinds of reasons, like it's manifest destiny. We want to uh, survive with the species uh, because it's out there. But the reality is that I think most national leaders see that investing in things that are hard and space is hard creates a culture of innovation in the country, which then permeates every aspect of their society. And so they see Florida uh, in particular as a place where a lot of space is happening. And we certainly promote that image, but we're also making it a reality. So we've opened up R&D centers and our universities and we have a number of collaborative programs with other countries, and I can give you some examples of those, but we make an active outreach to create joint ventures between Israeli or French or other companies and Florida companies. And we try to steer some money toward research grants for teamed efforts that can bring a technology to market. And that kind of atmosphere helps them both at home as well as in the marketplace that's truly a global market. So we're doing a lot to really reach out to other companies. Companies also want to be with their peers. And if they think this is where it's happening, or they see that this is a happening place, we're able to capture a lot of that. Access to space is important, affordable access. And this is a place that is of, uh, I think so far this year, 25 U.S. launches. 20 of them are from Florida. Wow. How many launches do you think we can get to in a year? One of the other things that we have a responsibility to do is to invest in our spaceport capabilities. And so we have been investing in both launch pad modernization, space processing facilities. And when we look at spaceport, I define it as the spaceport system. So it's all the roads and bridges and commodities flow leading to the spaceport so that we can keep a cadence going. We've been building capacity and capability to do 100 launches. Wow. So I want two a week. That's incredible. That's just an unbelievable number of launches. We're learning how to turn them around, reuse them. There's no reason that I think uh, Elon turned uh, a launch not too long ago uh, around in nine days and used it again. And that's probably the eighth or ninth time that particular rocket has been used. And I, I don't exact numbers, so please don't quote me on that, but I know he's he's well past 10 uses of a launch vehicle. That's incredible. It also sounds like when you refer to Elon that you're on a first name basis with Elon. Is that the case? I think we all use e Elon as a uh, an analog for success uh, in this <laughs> industry. And so, no, I, I, uh, I have emailed with him, but Elon, Elon is really uh, a major contributor that I think we all claim some of that kinship with. You know, we've had so many amazing people from the space industry that have set up shop here, have come from here, worked here. Who are some of the biggest names in the industry that, that you've worked with or collaborated with in some way? <laughs> That's really interesting because, uh, again, I go way back. 
Joe Charik, and one of my first clients was Comset. So I'm really dating myself when I go way, way back. Or to uh, I worked with Intelset. So and the founder of Intelset. Uh, those are the kinds of people I was working with years ago. Today uh, we're we're pleased to be doing a lot with Blue Origin and. So Jeff Bezos is one of those, but it's pretty much everybody uh, that is leading a company uh, that is in the uh, the industry, whether it's Virgin Orbit or uh, Spire. We're working with uh, Tamelis at uh, Relativity. I could go on, but it's it's most of the big players that are looking at where to place their next generation facilities, and they don't all choose Florida, but clearly we've got plenty of room. And I, I kid about that we have plenty of space for them. So we want them to bring their, their activity here. But the biggest thing that we're able to show them is that we've got a vision for Florida being the ground node of a new space economy that's going to occur up there. And just the way London opened up maritime trade several hundred years back by virtue of the things that it said. We're trying to have Florida open up access to space and create a supportive environment for creating value up there, bringing it down here, and then getting it to the rest of the world. This is a hardworking piece of the space industry here for sure. And you know, last week on our show, we had a guest that uh, lives by the phrase, work hard, play hard. And I've heard a rumor that you might own an Irish pub and play a musical instrument or two. (laughs) Well, it's a, it's a ukulele and it's not the, I, I guess that qualifies. I did have an Irish pub. Uh, that was one of the more fun side things that I did. And we were really helping a friend that had an Irish uh, gift shop and they're very spiritual. They wanted to open up a religious store. And so we, as they, they opened up the religious store and filled it with holy cards and prayer books. Uh, this is a side story I have to be careful about, but it's, don't be careful. Just just no. let it go. That's what our <laughs> listeners like to hear. Very difficult sell in the marketplace. Let's put it that way. But for a few months, we said, why don't we take a lot of the things out of here, get a cheap beer and wild wine since we have the gift shop so we can decorate this pub. And we opened up a pub with 40 seats, no food, no music, no uh, hard alcohol, beer and wine, and no smoking. And it was very nice. But as soon as we put music in it, we couldn't keep people out of it. And we started, we had other restaurants that would deliver food to it. So we moved to a much larger 100 plus location. And it's a thriving Irish pub today. And it's doing very, very well. I don't own it anymore. It's hard to do. Be a pub owner, except as a gentleman pub owner, and do this business as well. So what I'm hearing is to fund the next space station, it needs to have an Irish pub with live music. As one of the modules, I'm in. <laughs> we, we we've got a, a an Irish friend from Dublin that I think would argue that an Irish pub is somewhat of a religious experience. <laughs> yep, yep. You took the words away. <laughs> <laughs> There's no question that is that is true, and the Irish have a particularly keen understanding of the nature of camaraderie and really making song and storytelling a a truly spiritual. Uh, happening, which they do. They do very, very well. So Frank, when this call is done and you guys are hearing this first, sorry, Clint, Chad, Frank, I'm going to come to you for some funding 
to build the technology to pour the perfect pint in orbit. <laughs> Let me tell you, there, there's interest in that. And, and I know some of what you're saying is, uh, is tongue in cheek. Uh, but back in the 80s, when uh, I mentioned that you're taking satellites to Wall Street for finance, NASA gave us a contract. I teamed with Boeing at the time to go out and develop commercial users for the space station, which wasn't going to be built for a while. We, at the end of a five-year program, had some 120 companies that had active programs of interest to go up there and do something in the space station. Several of them were beverage companies. So we were looking at companies that were interested in how, you, how do you pour a carbonated drink uh, and I'm not going to mention names because I don't want to give them a, a, an issue. Take, but, take uh, a guess. A yeah. carbonated drink was everything from soft drink to alcoholic beverage. It was more than one. And so there were people who were going up there to do protein crystal growth and all kinds of other materials research. But some of the fun ones were really food related. My my favorite food story, you can confirm how true it is, is, uh, is Gus Grissom taking a, a sandwich in his pocket i think to space I, I i've heard that absolutely yeah yeah that sounds like something i would do <laughs> one of the things that we'll see uh, we've actually had a company that, that had looked at 3d printing certain food in space wow so you, you can 3d print it here on the ground there's no reason why you can't 3d print it in space we actually financed a 3d printer in space for a company that was an interesting exercise. I think we issued the first UCC one with the bank, enabled that to happen for a device that's in space. And you know, usually a bank can't go collect it if something happened. It's difficult to do. But those are the kinds of interesting financial creative things that can be done to enable industry to, to grow. We need to change the rules. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine that, that when we get 3D printing in space to a level that it's it's just unbelievably common, being able to take and transport raw materials in compact form, and then no matter what tool you need in space on the fly, you can 3D print that tool. It doesn't create static electricity. It's strong. It's light. It, it can solve so many problems. I think that although we've heard a lot about 3D printing in space, I think there's still a long way to go on, on how great that can be. Well, Redwire, as an example, is one company that's already demonstrated the capability to do some of those things. And they're making an invest, investments in a lot of other applications of 3D printing technology to building everything from booms to other kinds of components that can be used up there. So instead of having to lift all that stuff, you just make it up there. And that's what's promising about this next era of value creation that I refer to, because we are going to be able to ship raw materials. Eventually, instead of shipping them up there and making things, we're going to be able to go to other planetary bodies and use the stuff that's there to make things. And that's also a promising. A group of people at the University of Florida just recently demonstrated plant growth using lunar regular. So it can, in fact, be done. And that's also very promising for what we may be able to do, even on the lunar surface. Yeah, that was uh, something we were talking about just before you you joined the show was was plant growth in in lunar regolith, and that's just an unbelievably 
exciting thing as well because of the implications of of what we can do organically off planet. I, I think that's amazing. Well, you asked a little while ago about visionaries uh, that I may have met, but Jeff Bezos uh, and Elon Musk and others, I'm sure, have their vision for what they want space to be. But Jeff Bezos in particular, uh, one of his stated goals is to move manufacturing off the surface of the planet and to put it up there. And there is a lot of compelling reasons for doing things up there that we do currently on the ground, even data centers, as an example. We have data centers all over the planet, and we need more and more of them. And they take a tremendous amount of energy to cool. Well, if they're up there, you don't have to that issue. It's cold up there. So uh, for <laughs> like data Canada. centers in space, yeah, well, <laughs> yes, it is <laughs> like Canada. But that's just one example. Plus, all the data is being collected up there. So why not just bring it down when you need it and keep it up there? A lot of very interesting shifts in the, in the paradigm for how we do things today that are enabled by new uses of space. Yeah. And, you know, Frank, we're, we're actually getting close to the end of our time here, but we've got one question. We always like to ask everyone that we have on the show, and that is, what's the most exciting thing that you see happening in the space industry today? But, but you know, being the, the CEO of Space Florida, what's the most exciting space thing that you see happening in Florida today? What's, what's number one in your book? You know, we're seeing a ton of companies in various walks of life, everything from companies uh, prepping to do astronaut training for people that want to go up there to companies that are building platforms to carry them up there to uh, new rockets that are coming into the marketplace, a whole host of uh, effective small satellites and what I call worker satellites that are going to go up there and move things around, do things, repair things. But the most exciting thing, probably uh, the two things that I mentioned before, the democratization that is occurring for people willing to go up there and more than just adventure, plan about uh, some kind of activity up there that eventually leads to value creation. And the second kind of democratization, which is that infusion of technology Technologies are advancing along the edges and they're blending, but they're also being infused into every aspect of our walk, our, our way of life. And pretty soon, uh, the understanding and appreciation for the value of space technology and applications in our everyday world is going to be so pervasive that we'll become a spacefaring planet in every way. In every way, that's exciting. That's that's tomorrow land today. Well, the real last question then before we wrap up is if you get the chance to go, if Jeff calls you or if Elon calls you and you get the chance to go, are you going? Oh, I would go in a minute. minute. (laughs) Yes. I don't think I'd care about the platform ride uh, because I've, I've, uh, and maybe that's a perspective you get with some age. Uh, I've been lucky. I've been able to do a lot of things. Uh, I loved um, probably my most fun extracurricular activity in life was having a sailboat. And when you're out there in a sailboat, it's uh, it's a connection with nature. It's a connection with you and a device that you have control of, but you're responsible for all the other people. I just want to draw that analog to flying in space. I would go in a second and love the experience of it. If they ever have economy class, we'll see you there. 
<laughs> That's what it's going to have to be, super economy for me. It's a pleasure. I uh, tend to get into talk mode, and I'm sorry uh, that we didn't have more more dialogue, but it's uh, it's fun. I would gladly come back and join you guys anytime. That's Glad wonderful. to have you. Yes, thank you. We look forward to seeing you around. Thanks for joining Space in 60. Happy to do it. Take care. And that was a great chat with Frank. I am pretty excited about having uh, an Irish pub in space. Yeah, that sounds totally realistic. Absolutely. I mean, they they come in a, you know, a preset package. You just order it up and deliver it to SpaceX and it goes up. If you're having space tourism, you better have some drinks ready for people. I mean, granted, now the flights aren't that long, but soon it's going to be there. It's true. It's true. Have you have you guys ever seen the videos of them of the the astronauts playing drinking in space? Yeah, yeah, yeah playing yeah. with water. Yeah, can you imagine the party that you could have with that? Like <laughs> instead of like, you know, if you think back to your college days and Jello shots and things like that, we've got oh no, oh beer no, balls. Is that what you call them? <laughs> <laughs> That's beer terrible. bubbles. This conversation just went. Yeah, way downhill. <laughs> But imagine them moving around in the space station, pushing off one side or the other, beer bubbles everywhere. Like that could turn pretty crazy pretty fast, especially in that oxygen environment. Yep. Yep. Beer pong becomes a whole new game. Indeed. I like this. Indeed. That's true. (laughs) But, you know, we didn't dig far enough on the ukulele. Like, you know, work hard, play hard. How hard do you play with a ukulele? It's Florida, so it's the perfect weather for it there. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, got that going. The other thing, you know, in the... It's probably our first one, our first person from the Space and Satellite Hall of Fame. Really? I forgot yeah. to even bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. We should have asked him about that. But yeah, on the Space Hall of Fame, like, how do you get into that? Is that like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? But if it's space, how big is that hall? Is it infinite? <laughs> <laughs> that coffee just keeps going, doesn't it? I know. <laughs> You're going to have to get on to Tim Hortons, put you on decaf. <laughs> yeah. What is it with Tim Hortons and Canadians? Like, I've always been meaning to ask you that. Uh, he was a hockey player, of course. So he was a celebrity, and then he's a celebrity. I had no idea. Like, I had no idea who Tim Horton was. I mean, he's Canadian, so isn't everybody a hockey player? It's, did you, it's did you play your hockey, citizenship. Andrew? Of course. Of course. Yeah? What position did you play? Uh, usually goaltender. Okay. And why? Yeah. Uh, mostly because it couldn't skate very well. So you just stand <laughs> was, there and flail. I was waiting to see what answer you gave there. <laughs> oh, man. Can you imagine playing uh, air hockey in space? Uh, that would be fun. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. After a few uh, beer bubbles, balls going around and... <laughs> yeah, that totally went space down. Sports. Yeah, space sports. Yeah, space sports. Well, yeah, I think it was great having having Frank on the show. Um, I'm going to bring this back because you guys have totally destroyed this conversation. Indeed. Bring I'm, ex- I'm bring excited about the Frank. manufacturing in space. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I do too. Like there's been a lot of money, venture capital going to space manufacturing, but that's one of the few things I don't think there's been enough money going into is to develop that capability. It's, it's only going to get bigger. And with that... <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to let you end the show like that, Andrew. You're going to have to come with your A game. My A game? Yeah, what's your A game? How do you how do you close the show with your A game, Andrew? I'm stumped. My caffeine just ran out. Okay. <laughs>
I, I hope you I hope you played goaltender better than you end the show. Usually. Usually. Made the save. All right. Well, well, we'll let the listeners off the hook easy today. Can't wait to have you back to the show and can't wait till you see who our next guest is. Listen up. Listen to Space in 60. See you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Space in 60. Stay tuned as we explore new journeys into space with our upcoming guests and talk about the evolution of the industry. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. And we would love your input and feedback. So send us your comments and questions, and we'll try to feature them in a future podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode of Space and 60, where new space speaks. Space.